Good morning, everybody. Let's just open it over to prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you now. We pray that uh, I pray that this would just be a encouragement and a blessing. For I know it was a encouragement for me to uh, write these notes down. We also pray for those watching at home. Many are not here today. Pray for them to heal up and return to us soon. In Jesus' name, Amen. So last week. We had a great vacation. This was three years in the making. We had flight changes, destination changes, postponements over and over because of COVID and its many variants and hotel reservations changed. And this happens to all of us pretty much when our plans get altered because of a variety of things illnesses, family situations, surprises come up as we had the very night before, we're all set. We're gonna be taking an early flight. The very night before our, our dog sitter sends me a text said, Brad, I have COVID. I couldn't believe it, I go, great. So we got on Rover and thank God he um, gave us an excellent dog sitter and she just did great with our, with our little puppy. We never know what's going to come next. We don't know what's going to happen in the next hour, let alone the next year or two. But God's plans cannot be altered. But some people have tried to alter them. So I was going to cover some of them today. I'm going to have four examples. And of course, all failed because you cannot alter God's plans. The first one is in Matthew 16, 21 to 23. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. We just had a worship service today, beautiful worship service. We come every Sunday and we will until he comes again. We worship him and praise him for his shedding the blood for the remissions of our sin. What if Peter succeeded? We wouldn't have had a worship service today. Who knows what would have happened? He didn't succeed because God is gonna fill his whole plan through, through Jesus Christ. There's another verse in Psalms that says, delight in the Lord, Give your desire of the Lord, he will give you the desire of your heart, which is what he wants. But a lot of people think he will give you the desire of your heart, but they forget the first half of the verse. Well, when they say delight in the Lord, we're supposed to delight in what the Lord wants to do and the Lord's plan and his will. Peter was not delighting in what the Lord wanted to do. He was doing just the opposite. He wanted to stop Jesus from letting this arrest take place with him. 
We couldn't have sang my Redeemer like we did this morning had Jesus not went to the cross. Peter had the best intentions. He wanted to protect Jesus, who he loved. But he was thinking for the moment in that time and space. He wasn't thinking for eternity. Jesus was thinking for our eternity and his time with the Father as he was raised from the dead and went to, went to heaven. Jesus wanted to go to the cross, do his Father's will. He suffered and died and bled at the hands of sinners, as we read about in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. Nothing would stop him. It was all part of God's plan. His prediction was somehow he was going to do something about it. Peter, he has that kind of DNA. This is not the first time he's done this something to prevent it. Man's predictions are very iffy at best. They're never a sure thing. There's always some doubt. We've heard predictions our whole lives. It's, it's usually weather, uh, outcome of sporting events or elections. We hear those all the time. And world events about the wars and what's going on with different countries. As far as predictions go, most of you have probably seen the Business Channel. They're on all day long, different people share their thoughts for like five minutes each. They all give predictions and they're all so self-assured and so smart. They think they know everything. Years ago, a chimpanzee named Raven, they gave him 10 darts and he threw the darts at a list of 133 companies. 6,000 stock analysts, more of these business channel people, um, also predicted their top 10 picks. So they had 10 picks and Raven selected 10 from his thrown darts. At the end of the survey, Raven's picks were up 213% and Raven beat every one of the stock analysts. <laughs> when we make predictions, we can predict something from God's will. I can say Christians are going to be raptured soon. We don't know the date and time. That is a solid prediction because it's going to happen. It's one of God's promises. That is a sure thing. We're firm ground when we say that. We're supposed to say these things to other people. And a prediction, of course, by Christ is an example of prophecy. <clears throat> <clears throat> Satan was behind this event with Peter. When he said, get out, get out of me, Satan, he wasn't really talking about Peter. He's talking about Satan controlling Peter to make him a hindrance to his own plan. As we heard beautifully from Mark last week, Satan wants to hinder everything we do. He wants to make Christians look bad, and he wants to... Uh, just hinder any progress in God's plan. He's a liar, a murderer, and the evil one. He is our adversary. Tricks, schemes, and temptations are all in his toolkit. He has tried from the very beginning to foil God's plan or make Christians fail or turn away. He loves it when a Christian goes the other way. It's a victory for him. <clears throat> but as far as the overall plan go, he will never succeed. God always protects his people. 
In Psalm 46, one through three, it says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Does that sound familiar? Look what we've gone through this last month. We've seen mudslides, snow everywhere on Mount Diablo. Uh, the water, we had little channels in Pleasanton. They look like the Russian River. Right, Kathy? It's, we're, this is happening. But God is in control. He allows these things. It's all part of his plan. And we know this adversary is always going to be a threat. So we need to stay on guard and stay alert. Why? In 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says, In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. If you change that second part around, it's like a double negative. It could say, for we are aware of his schemes. And we got to remember that because we're hit by his schemes and temptations virtually daily. So another one, Satan worked hard through Herod to attempt and find and kill the baby Jesus in order to thwart God's plan of redemption. Herod's plans failed when an angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph in a dream and told him to take Mary and the baby to Egypt which he did. Herod died later, a brutal death of kidney disease and maggot-infested gangrene. They said it was a horrible death for him. Um, the angel again appeared a time later to Joseph and told him it was safe now because Herod was dead and some of the people that were, were his followers. And to return to Israel with Mary and the baby they went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. So the Lord works all these things, good and bad, and his prophecy will always come to be as this was one prophecy that was fulfilled. They're more than predictions when the Lord says something. They're guaranteed to be fulfilled. They never fail. And there's a few left that have not been fulfilled, but they're going to be fulfilled as well. In his timing, it will come to pass. Isaiah 14, 24 says, The Lord Almighty has sworn, Surely, as I have planned, so it will be. And as I have purposed, it will happen. In a similar vein, the word says, Man can do nothing against the truth. And what's the truth? The truth is rare in this world we live in, but we know the truth is Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Here's another one. Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days. He used every trick in his book. He used a challenge, a temptation, and a test. Jesus never yielded, and he rebuffed Satan each time. He never sinned. And what happened? Satan left him. 
that's a good reason we have the scripture memory class and we could use it and study the word. The word trumps Satan. It's a strong defense in the armor of God. In the armor of God, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. When you think about a sword, it can be an offensive weapon or it can be a blocker and be a defensive weapon. It can block a blow or strike a blow. Satan failed miserably. God's plan can't be thwarted. And there's a verse that just explains this. It said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's exactly what happened here. <clears throat> so this one here is a little bit different. <clears throat> I don't, nobody usually does this, but I'm going to take a deep dive into the book of Esther. This is one of my favorite stories. And it's a long book, and it has twists and turns, surprises, ordinary people changing the heart of the king, reversing the course of a nation. And it was made into several movies. It's a perfect script for Hollywood. Sherry and I watched One Night with the King the other day. If you haven't seen it, I think we actually went as a church and saw that one time, but it's a real good movie, and it sticks to the Bible. <clears throat> Esther and Mordecai, I'm skipping the first part, the king Xerxes, he had a falling out with his wife and he said, I'm gonna get a new queen. So Esther and Mordecai, who was Esther's uncle, Esther's parents were both killed, were both Jews. They were held in captivity under the rule of King Xerxes, who controlled a vast kingdom. This was no small uh, kingdom, it was huge. And Xerxes did not know that Mordecai and Esther were Jews. So he asked for an exhaustive study through all the young women in the area so he could get a replacement for the queen. And they gathered many candidates and they groomed them for a year. They had six months of this one ointment and then six months of another. They were under these beauty treatments. They had a life of leisure for a year. So when that was over, Ertzi selected Esther and he fell in love with her and made her the queen. So Mordecai, he had a position of authority, even though he's a Jew, he, he guarded the king's gate and he learned of a plot to kill the king. He told Esther, Esther told the king, it was verified and the king had the conspirators killed. At the same time, Ertzis promoted Haman, who was a nobleman in uh, Ertzis chain of command, high-ranking official, but he was a descendant of the uh, Amalekites. And years before, the prophet Samuel ordered King Saul to destroy all the Amalekites, their cattle, the, their kids, their spouses, men and women. And remember that battle where they lifted up Moses' arm when they did good? He, Israel was doing good when he got tired. Amalekites had a surge. So they held up, they propped his arm on the rocks and they held him up. At that battle, Moses said at the end, because hands 
were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. And Saul failed to do this. He had a chance. He had them right in front of him, but he failed to do it as obeyed. And it cost him his kingdom. The Lord Sammy said, you're not going to be the king after that, what you did there. And of the descendants of the Amalekite came Haman. So obviously he was a Jew hater. Um, so Ertzis doesn't seem to be aware of this, this uh, hatred against the Jews because he said, set a policy, all who saw Haman, if they walked by, Haman was there, they had to bow. Mordecai boldly refused to bow several times. Every time Haman passed, it would drive Haman crazy, but he would never bow. So Haman was furious and he knew Mordecai was a Jew. And not only did Haman want to kill Mordecai, he wanted to kill the whole race, just annihilate him. Again, Satan was controlling Haman as he controlled the Amalekites. You can see that. So he asked Xerxes for approval to kill the Jews, all the Jews, and Mordecai included. The king approved it. I guess he was not aware of some of this. And a decree was distributed throughout the land, and Haman set an, an, another date down the road. The decree was distributed all over the kingdom that at this certain date, all Jews are going to be killed and their family and everything else. Amazing. Mordecai obviously was very dis distressed. He was mourning in those days. They weeped. They put ashes on him. It was probably a heavy time of prayer and fasting. Uh, <clears throat> Mordecai explained the decree to Esther and asked Esther to go before the king and make supplication for her and request for all her people. Talk about a tough command. Esther knew the king's law, which said, if you go before the king unsummoned, you could be killed unless the king hold, held out his scepter. And he had not been holding out his scepter for Esther for at least 30 days. <clears throat> and Mordecai also said in Esther 4, 6, 14 to 16, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your fa father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such as time as this. Then Esther said this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susha and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days night or day, I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. What a wonderful thing to say. She put her life on the line and her attitude was, if I die trying to save my people, I die. She could have stayed in that soft lifestyle in the palace and just, but she didn't. It was probably a time of much prayer those three days. And later, after the three days, she risked her life. She entered the inner court, which was a death penalty. 
unsummoned by the king, the king said, Esther, what is your request? I can give you half the kingdom. Imagine that, she could add half the kingdom. She was not interested. Here's the, here's the plot. Esther asked the king and Haman to come to a banquet that she would prepare. So she's cooking the meal and she asked Haman and she would tell the king her request at that banquet. So Haman, he was full of himself and he bragged to his friends that he was the only noble that Esther requested to be at the banquet. But he was still seething that Haman would never bow before him. Listen to, listen to Haman's wife. She said, Jim, in Esther 5.14, it says his wife, Zersha, Zerish, and all his friends said to him, have a pole set up reaching to a height of 50 cubits and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman and he had the pole set up. What a wife. This, in some translations, call it a gallows and not a pole, but I don't know that much about that. So, so Satan was clearly working through Haman in a plan to destroy God's people. So the Lord may have been at work here with the king because the king had a restless night's sleep all of a sudden. In the middle of this, all of a sudden, he had a restless night's sleep. Might have been the Lord working on him. And he, they, had a, uh, they had a log of everything the king did, like a scroll. So he got up and he was reading the log of his accomplishments. And he was told, he remembered when the conspirators were killed and Mordecai was the reporting party. And he was told nothing was done to Mordecai to praise him for this, to honor him. So, as, as it would be, Haman was right outside in the courtyard and he said to one of his attendants, who's in the courtyard? It could have been anybody at that time, but it was Haman. So he called Haman in and he said, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? So Haman, he's off on everything he does. He says, oh, this has got to be me. Who, who else would he honor? I'm, you know. So Haman come up with his grand plan to honor himself. Come up with royal robes, a horse, and a procession. And so the king said, okay, we'll do that. <laughs> uh, but shockingly to Haman, the king said, he ordered Haman, put the robes on Mordecai and lead him through the city on the horse and say this constantly, this is the man the king delights to honor. So you can imagine how Haman felt. He, he's like over three in this story. So Haman is beside himself. He's grieving. So he goes to the banquet that Esther made. And again, the king said, Esther, okay, what is your request? I'll give you half the kingdom. These are three, some verses not exactly in order, but I'll just go down, Keith, through them. In seven, it says, then Queen Esther answered, if I found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life as this is my petition. 
and spare my people, this is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. How humble is that? She said, if I wouldn't say a word if it wasn't, this wasn't happening. She is so humble and respectful to the king. Ertzies asked the queen Esther, who is he? Where is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther said, an adversary and enemy, the vile Haman, who's right at the banquet, he would imagine was pretty surprised. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage. He went out in the garden. And Haman realized that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Haman gets in even more trouble here. Esther went and reclined on her couch. And Haman gets on the couch with her. In the meantime, the, the king walks in and says, Will he even assault the queen while she is here in the palace with me? As soon as the king said this, the attendants covered Haman's face, signaling his doom. Yes. One of the attendants in verse 9, Harbona, a pole reaching to a height of 50 feet cubits stands by Haman's house. He had it set up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. Then King said, impale him on it. I love that. He built, the, he built this structure to look out his window and see that Mordecai was going to be hung on it or impaled. And he's the one, now his, well, his family, not, other people could see that he was the one that was impaled on it. I love the way the Lord works. Herod, Saul, Haman, and Judas all tried to thwart the Lord's plans, all of them. Every one of them just died a brutal death. The king had given Haman his signet ring, which whatever the king wrote, he'd stamp it with wax and that would be law. He took the signet ring from Haman and he gave it to Mordecai. Mordecai was move, he's moving up the chain of command. He got promoted again and then Esther requested the king void the decree to kill all the Jews, and the king did that. He completely avoided that decree, and he gave another permission for another decree to be written, which said in Esther 8.11, the king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble, protect themselves, to destroy, annihilate the armed men of any nationality, or province who might attack them and their women and children and to plunder the property of their enemies. This was no small group of people, either the Jews or the enemies. The Jews did this, they had armies too, and they went out in the land, annihilated everything, all the enemy, and they killed 10 of Haman's sons, all, all 10 of them. Mordecai got promoted again to the highest position possible below the king. Haman persecuted God's people, 
that was not the last time that happened. It didn't work for Haman, nor did it work for Adolf Hitler. And look at Esther, what attribute? She boldly cared for her people, which were God's people. She stayed strong, changed the heart of the king, and remained loyal to the Lord throughout. We know that the Lord's plans includes trials and temptations. We heard that from, from Mark last week. And they strengthen our faith and build perseverance. They're tests. You know all about testing. God uses the test to, to refine us, make us stronger. So when the time arises, we could perform under pressure. In the police department, we had testing constantly and practice all kinds of firearms. We had a shotgun that was had a, you know, orange stock, orange stock or play to play toy guns. They put, it was a shotgun with plastic uh, orange stock and it shot, uh, it's called less lethal. It's, a, it's an attempt to made, have a weapon to use in crisis situations that was not deadly force. It was basically shot within the cartridge had a bean bag and if you got hit with it it was like getting hit with a baseball bat so that is used in san francisco to uh, try to settle some disputes without deadly force and we have testing officer testing uh, advanced officer everything under the sun because when you're in a police department you don't know what kind of situation you're going to run to ever every day is different you see it in the news it's it's everywhere it's horrible so that's why is there uh, so much testing so they can when the situation comes up you can de-escalate it or handle it without hopefully getting shot or shooting somebody so <clears throat> when the trials and tribulations hit and we know we're going a lot of people in here are going through a lot of these now we, the word has an opposite response of what the world might think. In James, first chapter of James 2 through 4, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, laughing, lacking nothing. So it says, like, roll with the trial and go through it. Don't try to just avoid it and go your own way and just stay in the walk and let the Lord grow our faith, which produces the perseverance. And this is one of my brother Mike's favorite verses. We hear it all the time, and it's well, it's well used by all of us. Many of us have a lot of things going on. It's Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All things are the good things and the bad things mixed together. He doesn't just use the bad things. He uses the good and bad. And he makes that, as we go through the trial, work for the good for us, all of us. He has a purpose for all of us. All this testing, when we get the chance, the opportunity, it's so we don't shy away. 
And we don't know when the next opportunity is going to be, when we be bold and do like the things we're uh, talking about in the kingdom, man. Stand up for the Lord. We sang today, he knows the future. And that is so true. He knows what's going to happen to us. We don't from one day to the next. So we know he has a plan for us. We know it's the best thing in our lives. He knows the future. So that's an encouragement to stay to stay on his plan. Whatever we're doing when we're on his plan, how rough it might seem is the best thing for us. And I was thinking about how to stay on, on God's plan. Pray, pray a lot. Stay active in the word, trust and obey God, and fellowship with other believers. Amen. Dear Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for this just great story of Esther and all these examples of people that stood up, and Jesus, who stood up for your plan, Lord, and did not back down despite in some cases, just tremendous opposition. And we learn from them that we can grow our faith too. We just pray for the rest of the day. We pray for those not feeling well, that they could return to us soon. In Jesus' name, amen.